Hey, how's it going, guys? And welcome to the first episode of my Hockey Rosters Revisited podcast, where I talk top to bottom about a certain NHL team from a specific year. I'm your host, Nathan Score Productions on YouTube, or you could call me Cody because that's my actual name. So since this is the very first episode, before we dive into our subject matter for today's episode, I want to go over what this podcast is because you guys probably don't know unless you follow me on Twitter. So basically, I'm going to be uh, going over a random team from NHL history. You guys could suggest teams and all that sort of things. And it doesn't really even matter if the team was a playoff team or not. Any team from any year in history, uh, just as long as it's not from like the early 1900s, because I'm not going to really able to know anything about that team. Um, but yeah, so basically just any team I'm talking about, I basically go over what their season was like, like I go over their uh, game by game schedule kind of a bit, like month by month, how they did in terms of win loss ratio, uh, that type of thing. I also go over their entire roster, like in depth with each player. So like if there's 32 players that played with them over the season, I go in depth with every single one of them. And then I also talk about like who their captain was. I break down their team by like nationality, handedness, age, all that sort of thing. And then I also do a breakdown on their playoff run if they made the playoffs. So I go over like who they faced in each round, uh, kind of like a game by game. It depends on how much games there were. Like if it was a seven game series, I'm not going to go all seven games, but I'm going to still talk about what happened in that series. And then also I'm going to talk about any like transactions that that team made during the season uh, when I'm talking about the player that might have got traded or a player that might have got uh, traded for another player. And then I also talk about draft picks and signings and all that sort of things that the team did to improve themselves. And then by the end of the episode, I also give kind of like a bit of a feedback on where I think this team could use a lot of improvement going forward into the next season. Even though this has already been written in history, I would just like to give like my feedback on what this team could have done better going into the next season so they could have improved their chances of like maybe winning the Stanley Cup. So if you guys are interested in that, continue listening. If not, then I guess this podcast isn't for you. But let's get into today's topic, which is the 1996-97 Detroit Red Wings. So the Red Wings were coming off the defeat at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche in the 1996 Western Conference Finals. Uh, they actually played pretty good in that series. Like I think it went six games. Um, and they also played really good that season. They had like 62 wins, but they just could not get the Stanley Cup, which really sucked. Uh, but yeah, anyways, uh, Scotty Bowman was back behind the bench, obviously, after that 62 win season. This would be his fourth year behind the bench as the coach of the Detroit Red Wings. In the offseason, though, Detroit would part ways with a couple players from the 96 run. And that includes Mark Bergevin, who obviously is now the general manager in Montreal. They also parted ways with Hall of Famer Dino Cicerelli, who I think was getting closer to retirement by then. Um, he definitely was up there in age. And they also let go of Wes Walls, who never really got to play much in the 90s. He didn't really come into the NHL till like earlier 2000s when he played for the Minnesota Wild. So the upcoming 1996-97 season would mark the 65th season as the Detroit Red Wings like in a franchise. Because they also had Detroit Vipers, I think it was, and some other Detroit team. Uh, but those guys I don't consider the Red Wings, even though they technically could be. So let's get into some analytics uh, about the roster on how they were broken down. So the 1996-97 Detroit Red Wings were 
65.625% Canadian players. So they had majority of their roster Canadian players, which is not a surprise because Canada obviously has the most hockey players in the entire world. Uh, 15.625% of their roster was Russian because you had the Russian five, which consisted of people like Fedorov, Konstantinov, Kozlov, um, who else am I forgetting? There's two more, but we'll get into those later anyways. And then there was also 9.375% of this team was Swedish. So there was a couple guys like Nicholas Lidstrom and also who else is the other one I'm forgetting? Eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll get into that later as well. But this was the one this thing that kind of shocked me. Only 6.25% of the team was American like anybody that ever played with them during that season, that was only two players, and one of them was Doug Brown. I can't remember the other off by heart, but yeah, there was not a lot of American players on this American team. And then finally, there was one Finn player, and that was Thomas Sandstrom. So 14 of the 32 players with the Detroit Red Wings this season were right-handed in terms of shooting, which kind of makes sense because most of the league was left-handed, um, there was a couple right-handed players, but most of those guys were like right wingers and whatnot. So kind of makes sense. So the average age of this team was 27.9. So they're a pretty young team for the most part. They had a couple veterans, but they did have some good middle-aged guys. So some pretty interesting analytics there, in my opinion, especially the fact that the two Americans, that one kind of shocked me a lot considering they're a USA based team. Like if it was like a uh, Canadian team doing that, I would, it would make sense. But like for one of the teams to be in one of the biggest uh, US cities in Detroit and to only have two Americans, it's pretty like surprising to me. Okay, so next we're going to go in depth and look at each of those 32 players I just mentioned in a segment I like to call Player Profiles, starting off with the captain, Steve Eiserman. So during the 1996-97 campaign, Steve laced up in 81 of 82 games, which is the most any player did on the team. He finished second on the team in points with 85. 22 of which were goals and another 63 were assists. Steve would finish a plus 22 and he actually put up his second ever most penalty minutes in a season which was 78. I've never seen him put up that much penalty minutes but that was what apparently he did. Um, 8 of his 22 goals during the season were on the power play and other 3 were game winners. I don't know if any of those power play goals were game winners, probably, but uh, I'm not 100% sure of that. Uh, he surprisingly didn't have a shorthanded goal, even though I think he probably was on the penalty killing unit sometimes, like maybe when like Chris Draper, one of those normal guys would be in the box. However, he did have two assists on the penalty kills, so I guess he was helping out Brendan Shanahan because we'll get into Shanahan later, but he had a couple shorties. So this season was Steve's 11th best season of his 22 year long career, so it was not the greatest, but it was definitely not the worst either, so right smack dab in the middle, so not too bad. Next up, we have Brendan Shanahan, who was acquired from the Hartford Whalers early into the season. Like, I think he played like two games or one game with the Hartford Whalers where he actually scored a goal. So he came with B defenseman Brian Glynn, who actually never got to play at all for the Wings because he was playing in the IHL, I think it was. Um, which is a league that doesn't exist anymore, if you guys don't know. Anyways, though, Detroit would actually give up a lot to get Brendan Shanahan. They would give up a Hall of Famer defenseman, Paul Coffey, who I guess it kind of makes sense to let him go because he was getting, getting up there in age. But he did still play till like 2001. They also gave up 24-year-old Keith Primo in this deal, so they were giving up the future to go for a cup run, I guess. 
And they also gave up their first round pick in 1997, which actually turned out to be Nico Tesselos, who is the, I think, nephew of Chris Chelios. So they didn't really give up that much with that first round. You're like, if Carolina would have gotten somebody better in the 97 draft, then they could have picked like a really good player because the 97 draft, I think, had like Joe Thornton and whatnot. But instead, they just got Nico Tesselos. So I think in a way that trade was kind of close just because Shanahan and Coffee could kind of match up. But Keith Primo, I guess that kind of makes the deal better for Hartford to an extent because Hartford was still a team at this time. This is right before they transitioned to Carolina. But as I was saying, the addition of Shanahan was really huge for Detroit because he would lead them in goals and points by the end of the season. He had 46 goals, 41 assists for 87 points in 79 games. He finished the season with 88 points, though, as I said, though, because he had one with the Hartford Whalers. Shanahan was also a plus 31 and had 131 penalty minutes, so he was a solid piece all around. Just a great acquisition for the team. 20 of those 46 goals that he had came on the power play, so he was a really good power play player. I guess just Steve Eiserman uh, like feeding him a bunch of passes and him able to capitalize. He also had two shorthanded goals during the season, as I was mentioning with Steve Eiserman putting up some assists. And he also had seven game-winning goals. This was his third best season in his 21 years in the NHL, so it was one of his best seasons for sure. I think his best season, he had over 100 points. I can't remember what season it was, but I think it was when he was with Detroit. Also, he put up three of the four hat-tricks that the Detroit Red Wings had, the other one coming from Sergei Fedorov. So he was definitely the goal scorer of the team. Next up, we have Sergei Fedorov, who is 27 years old in this point in time. He was in his seventh NHL season, coming off 107 points the year prior. However, this year he kind of struggled by comparison because he played 74 games, getting only 30 goals, 33 assists for 63 points. So he basically dropped in production by 44 points in four less games. So I don't know what happened with him if he was getting less ice time than the year before, because this is, I think, before they started tracking ice time. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what happened with Fedorov there. Probably got demoted to the second line or something like that because of the acquisition of Shanahan. That could have been it actually because Shanahan was playing a left wing and Fedorov, I think, played sometimes like with Steve Eiserman. So I think he probably got to the second line or something instead. Maybe that's what did it. He still finished out third on the team in points and second in goals. He was also a plus 29 and had 30 penalty minutes. He also had nine power play goals, which I think was the most on the team or close to the most. Actually, no, it wasn't because I said Brennan Shane had 20, but he was close to it. But anyways, like he's probably second on the team, at least. He also had two shorthanded goals and four game winners. This was his 10th best season out of his 18 years in the NHL. So it was not the one of the greatest, but he did have some really good ones early on and later on in his career. Now we move on to a defenseman and it's Swedish defenseman. You guys all know him, Nicholas Lidstrom. Nicholas was in his sixth season in the NHL, and he was still without his first Norris Trophy, even though he did win seven over his illustrious career. As most of the years, Lidstrom was really good. He had 57 points in 79 games, uh, 15 of which were goals and 42 assists. He ranked third in the NHL in points in def like defensive scoring behind Sandus Ozelinch, who had, I think, like 68 points. And then you had Brian Leach, who was number one with like 70 something. So like back in these days, there was some really ridiculous defensemen. This was the 13th best season in his career out of the 20 years he played because he was very impressive with his play. Like he had uh, 12 seasons with more than 57 points as a defenseman. That is very 
good. Like that's why he won so many Norrises because of his outstanding defensive play and his great offensive play as well. Next up, we have another one of the five Soviets on this team, and that is veteran Igor Larionov, who is already 36 by this season. A lot of people don't realize that he started his NHL career at like 29 in 1990-91, I think it was, or 89-90 with the Vancouver Canucks. However, age didn't really slow him down this season as he had 12 goals and 42 assists for 54 points in 64 games. So he missed a decent amount of games. I don't know if he had injuries or if it was just his old age or something for a player. But yeah, he didn't play the sub in all the games. Probably injury, I would assume. I don't know too much about the injuries throughout this season. He was also a plus 31, so he was really good on the defensive area of his game. And then he also had 26 penalty minutes. He only had two power play goals, which was kind of strange, but then again, he was more of a passer over his career. He also had one shorthanded goal in four game winners within his 12 goals that he scored during the season. So Larionov, as you, like I was just saying, he is more of a playmaker. He's also a very good defensive forward. He never reached more than 22 goals in a season in his career. So this was his fifth best season out of the 14 years he played in the NHL. Next up, we got a physical forward that could also play him points this season, at least. And that is 24-year-old Darren McCarty. Like I said, he was a really young player at this point in time. He could produce pretty solidly in terms of offense because he had 49 points over the season in 68 games, 19 of which were goals and 30 of them were assists. But he was definitely more known for his physical play most of his career and probably the most beautiful goal in a Stanley Cup Finals where he deked, I don't remember what player of the Flyers, but he deked the player of the Flyers and put it in and it was one of the greatest goals probably in Red Wings history, I'd assume. So this season actually was the best season of his career, but he kind of progressively got worse as his career went on because like he kind of became more of a fighter towards the end of his career than uh, a player that actually put in points. He had five power play goals and six game winning goals, so he got some power play time, probably some good players. That's probably what helped him do really good this season. And then I guess maybe over time he was not getting as much power play time, and then that's why he transitioned his game to more of a defensive physical presence. So next up we're on to our third of the Soviets and that is Vyacheslav Kozlov or Slava Kozlov. Um, I think he went by Slava later in his career if I'm not mistaken. Slava like was kind of like Fedorov this season because he had a really good season the year before but he kind of dropped in production this year. I think it could be ice time like I was mentioning with Fedorov. Uh, but in 1995-96, uh, Kozlov had 73 points in 82 games. However, he dropped by 18 points this season, and he only put up 45 points in 75 games this season. So in seven less games, he had 18 less points. So it's probably ice time, I'd assume. Like maybe he got demoted to like the second line or something. Or maybe he just was not playing his game that he's used to playing. However, he still finished with 23 goals, which was the third best on the team. So this team kind of struggled for offense in terms of goals, it seems like, which is kind of surprising, but they were still really good. Uh, he also had an additional 22 assists, and he was a plus 21 with 46 penalty minutes. This was his 10th best season in his career out of the 18 years because he was kind of better early on in his career as a Red Wing, and then he kind of slowed down. As he got older, he actually did do really good one season with Atlanta as well. 
Um, but I'm not 100% sure on how much points he put up. Next up is Vladimir Konstantinov, who unknowingly, uh, this was his last season in the NHL. I'll get in more into that in the offseason at the later parts of this episode, just because I don't really want to talk about it right now. So let's focus on those positive vibes a bit more. So Vlad was an outstanding defenseman. He could throw some old-time hip checks, like he was a very physical player. He played also very good in his own end, like defensively, keeping the puck away from his goaltender. He was also a pretty good passer, which made up for the most of his career points. Anyway, during this season, he played 77 games, putting up 5 goals and 33 assists for 38 points. However, he was also a plus 38, which actually tied him for third best in the NHL. I think it might have been the best out of all defensemen. But he was like that basically his entire career where he was really good in his own end. Like I was saying, he was really good in plus minus category and physically as he racked up 151 penalty minutes this season. And he's basically was eighth on the Red Wings in points this season. And it was his best season actually of his career in terms of point production. So yeah, this was a very good year for Vladimir Konstantinov. Unfortunately, something happened in the offseason that I don't want to talk about right now, but I'll get into it later in this video video or whatever you guys are listening to on because I might upload the Spotify. So Okay, so next we're on to Quebec native in Marty Lapointe or Martin Lapointe. He was actually pretty solid offensively and very physical at this point in time. He was only 23 and he was better offensively, like I was saying, in this earlier stage of his career than he was later on. Uh, he played 78 games, scoring 16 goals and adding 17 assists for 33 points. He wasn't actually very good in his own end. Like, I think his career plus minus wasn't really that good. Uh, but this season, he was a minus 14 despite his team's great defensive play. So I think it might have been the bottom six that was kind of struggling to keep the puck out of the net. He also couldn't stay out of the box. He had 167 penalty minutes and he had five power play goals. So he did get some power play time. He had one shorthanded goal and one game winning goal in his 16 goals he scored this season. He still shot at 10.7%, which is still pretty good because then he's scoring like one goal every 10 to 11 shots. This was his fifth best season in his NHL career. The four better ones were coming over the next five seasons. So he had Basically, his next four seasons after this were pretty much his best years of his career. And then he kind of shut down a bit when he was playing for like later for Chicago in Ottawa before he retired in 2008. Next up, we have Vyacheslav Fetisov, who is the final Soviet on this team. He was 38 years of age at this point in time, so he's pretty old for a player. But that didn't slow him down, really, because I think he played till he's like 40 something or maybe not. Maybe actually he played one more season after this. Uh, but he played 64 games this season, scoring five goals and added 23 assists for 28 points. Also, like Konstantinov, he was very good in his own end and physical as he was a plus 26 and had 76 penalty minutes. Like I think Konstantinov and Fetisov, I believe they were a defensive pairing, but I'm not 100% sure with that because there's no website that shows like historical lineups and whatnot. Something though I did find pretty cool about Fetisov is at the end of the 1997-98 season, he retired from the NHL, but he did actually come back to the KHL for one game in 2009-10 when he was 51 years old. And I think he was a minus one, but he still played like at least one shift during that time. So this guy must have like iron lungs to play at that age. What made Fetisov so successful though was his international play with Russia. He won, I think, a lot of gold medals and whatnot, so I think that's what made him more of a successful player than what he did in the NHL, because in the NHL, he only played nine seasons. This was actually his third best year out of those nine years, so 
So next up is Thomas Sandstrom, who was actually acquired from the Pittsburgh Penguins in late January 1997 for Greg Johnson. In the 34 games Thomas played for the Red Wings, he had 9 goals and 9 assists for 18 points. He was also a plus 2 and had 36 penalty minutes. While Greg Johnson in Pittsburgh would put up 16 points in 32 games, so it was pretty even of a trade for the most part. And Thomas is the only Finnish player on this team. Even though his name does sound more Swedish to me, he was a Finnish player. Now we got the aforementioned Greg Johnson. So Greg Johnson played 43 games with the Detroit Red Wings this season before going to Pittsburgh. He would score 6 goals and get 10 assists for 16 points. As I was just saying, he was dealt for Thomas Sandstrom on January 27th. Greg was a minus 5 and had 12 penalty minutes. This was his 6th best season in his 12 years in the NHL. His best years came when he played for Nashville, which was in the later stage of his stages of his career. Because he retired, I believe, in 05-06, but he was like the captain. So he got some good leadership ability, I guess. Next is centerman Chris Draper, who was a great defensively-minded centerman, as you guys might know. Um, for pretty much his entire career, Detroit actually acquired him from Winnipeg back in June of 1993. I don't think uh, Detroit really gave up much to get him. But yeah, in 1996-97, which is the season that I was just mentioning, he laced up in 76 games, scoring 8 goals and 5 assists for 13 points. This statistically was one of the worst years of his career. However, he did pick up his play in 97-98. I think he had like 28 points the following year. So he kind of struggled here. I think it could have been ice time as well. Like maybe he was playing fourth line role, not third line. And then he just, yeah, didn't produce much. He was also a minus 11 and had 73 penalty minutes. So it does look like the bottom six could be the factor for the defensive play that I was mentioning. Because it looks like most of the top six guys were really good plus minus. And then the bottom six guys, some of them are minus players. The 73 penalty minutes he took this season was the third most he ever took in a season. He would play the rest of his career in Detroit, like I think he retired in 2011, but he was a part of all Stanley Cups that they won, so that's pretty cool. So next up we got Bob Rouse, who was more of a defensively minded defenseman. He was actually signed as a free agent in the 1994 offseason from Toronto, so this was his like third year in, in uh, yeah, I think it's like his third year in Detroit. Like I was just saying, Bob was more of a defensively minded defenseman. So majority of the points that he scored in his career were assists. So in 70 games this year, he had four goals and nine assists for 13 points. Also with Detroit's defensive core being so strong, he was a plus eight and had 58 penalty minutes. Uh, two of his four goals he scored this season were actually shorthanded. So that's pretty impressive for a, like a top six defensive defenseman to score two shorthanded goals. So yeah, that's what I found most interesting about him. This was his 8th best season out of his 16 to 17 seasons because the 17th season he only played like one game. So next up we got Doug Brown who's already was 32 at this point in time. He was one of the Americans on this team. Doug came over to the Red Wings in 1995 as a claim in the waiver draft from the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I guess there was a waiver draft back in this day. I don't know much about it but he was acquired from the Pittsburgh Penguins in that draft. In the 49 games he played this season, he scored 6 goals and 7 assists for 13 points. He was actually really successful in one season that he played with Pittsburgh. Like, I think he had like 50-something points, but he was kind of trailing off a bit in the later stages. He was also a minus 3 and had 8 penalty minutes only this season. Because, like, he wasn't the type of player to take really much penalty minutes. Like, over 854 career games, he only took 210. 
So this guy was getting like a penalty minute maybe every like fourth game. So yeah, that's pretty good for him to be in like a really good sportsmanship player. He would play in Detroit till the end of the 2001 season where he would announce his retirement. So now we have 20 year old Matthew Dandino and Matthew Dandino actually was in his second season as a Red Wing, second year in his NHL career. He was primarily a right winger in these earlier days, but he actually also could play defense. Like he was a defenseman for a couple of years too because of his size, because he was like over 200 pounds, I believe. Uh, this season, he played 65 games with three goals, nine assists for 12 points. He was also minus 10 and had 28 penalty minutes. As I was saying with the bottom six, it does look like a lot of the bottom six players were minus, so this could have been the reason why. He probably was on the, either the third or fourth line, so that's probably why he was a minus. Next up is former 32nd overall pick in Jamie Pusher, and Pusher wasn't really much of anything but a physical presence on the defensive core, because over 75 games, he racked up 129 penalty minutes this year. And then he also had four goals and seven assists for 11 points. He was also a plus one, so he wasn't the greatest in his own end in terms of defensive play. He just threw a lot of checks. And yeah, that's pretty much Jamie Pusher. He was also dealt to the Anaheim Ducks the following season. So he won the cup here and then he would not win the cup when they won in 97-98. On to another Swedish player that you guys all should know is Thomas Holmstrom. So Thomas was in his first season in the NHL. He was only 24 at this point in time, so he did come over to the NHL at like an older age. He spent his entire career as a Red Wing, so he was a part of all four Stanley Cup wins. Thomas skated in 47 games this season, scoring six goals and added three assists for nine points. He was also minus 10, so that continues to show the trend of the bottom six. He also had 33 penalty minutes throughout the 47 games he played. Next up is Kirk Maltby, who was uh, acquired actually the season before from the Edmonton Oilers. The Red Wings gave up uh, Dan McGillis in exchange. And if you guys know Dan McGillis, he was also a pretty solid defenseman for the most part. Um, played a lot with the Flyers as well in the later stages of his career. But he was a pretty solid defenseman that they gave up for that. Uh, so like Draper, though, Maltby was a very good defensive kind of player and guy that could play on your penalty kill. He was also very physical, so that made like the bottom six in the penalty kill really strong for these Detroit Red Wings as the years went on. In 66 games, Kirk had three goals and five assists for eight points. He was also a plus three and had 75 penalty minutes. This was statistically his second worst season of his career. However, he did also improve in 1997-98, just like Chris Draper. We now have Windsor, Ontario native Aaron Ward, who is a mainly a stay-at-home defender. Uh, Detroit acquired him from Winnipeg back in June of 1993 in a Paul Isabar trade. Um, I don't really know much about that trade, but yeah, Paul Isabar went the opposite way. Despite playing 52 games the following season, he was actually not credited as a Stanley Cup champion, so he did get credited for a cup this year in 97. However, he didn't get credited for one in 98. Which kind of makes no sense because in 90, uh, 97, which is this season, he played in 49 games. Well, the year after he played 52 games. So I don't get it. I don't know if it's because he played mostly in the playoffs this season. And then last, like the following season, he didn't play that much or something. But he also won a Stanley Cup in 2006 with Carolina, I guess. So, so it also made for some compensation. Anyways, this season, like I was saying, in his 49 games he played, he had two goals, five assists for seven points. 
He was also a minus nine and had 52 penalty minutes. So next is Tim Taylor, who was originally drafted by the Washington Capitals back in 1988, but he actually never played a single game with them. He wouldn't actually get to play his first full season in the NHL till he was 26 years old in 1996. This season, he played 44 games, which he got his name on the cup for the first time, so he played enough to get on the Stanley Cup. He would also win one in 2004 with Tampa Bay. He had 7 points and was a minus 6, and also had 52 penalty minutes over the season. He never was a huge offensive guy, but he was a really solid bottom 6 player, and he also had some leadership abilities because he was the captain of the 2007 and 2008 Tampa Bay Lightning. Next up is Anders Eriksson, who is another one of those Swedish players who didn't actually get his name on the Stanley Cup this season, but he would get it on there the following season. The reason being is because he only played like 23 games this year. Red Wings fans probably remember him mostly as the item that brought Chris Chelios to Detroit in March of 1999, since he was the, one of the, like the main piece that went the opposite way because he was a lot younger than Chelios. So basically Detroit was loading up on veterans to go for a cup run again. This season he only played 23 games as I was just mentioning and he also had only 6 assists so he was just primarily a passer kind of guy and he was also a plus 5 though so he was good in his own end and he had 10 penalty minutes so I guess he was kind of physical too nonetheless but yeah he was a pretty solid piece earlier in his career and then he kind of fell off a cliff a bit and was playing in Sweden until 2012, I think. So next up is Hall of Famer Larry Murphy, who, this is really interesting. So the Red Wings actually acquired him in a trade this season in March of 1997 from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the thing is, Detroit only gave up future considerations, which I looked at, like, looking for um, what those future considerations were. It looks like they were never discussed. So it looks like Detroit basically got a free Hall of Famer defenseman uh, to help with their cup run. Uh, basically, Larry, though, was a huge success in Detroit in the cup wins in 97 and 98. Over the 94 games he played in those one and a half seasons, he scored 13 goals and had 45 assists for 58 points. He was also a plus 37. Like, he was like the perfect addition to this team. I think he played with Nicholas Lidstrom as well, so the two of those guys were dominant defensively. They also could produce offensively, and each of them were different-handedness, so they were the perfect uh, pairing. The 12 games he laced up with the Wings this season, he had 6 points and was a plus 2, and had no penalty minutes, surprisingly. Next up is Bob Erie, who was a part of the Pittsburgh Cup wins in 91 and 92. Bob came over from San Jose in 1995, but he would head right back to San Jose as a waiver claim in February 1997. So he was not a part of the Stanley Cup winning team because he started the season like I think he played like 30 something games with Detroit, but then he was put on waivers to send him down to the minors and he was claimed by San Jose again. But Bob was the kind of player that could produce somewhat as well, play really strong in his defensive end, and then he was also very physical for the most part. Most of his points came earlier in his career, but this season he played only 36 games, so he only had 3 points, so he was kind of trailing off due to his age a bit. Uh, he was also a minus 3 and had 27 penalty minutes. Next up is Calgary-born Joe Koser, who is mainly an enforcer. Uh, he actually currently ranks 21st all-time in terms of penalty minutes with 2,519. He played for Detroit on two different stints actually as well, which is kind of cool. He played with them from 84-85, which was his first season, to 1990-91. He would then play in New York with the Rangers in 1994 and win a Stanley Cup before a brief stint in Vancouver, and then he would return to Detroit in December of 1996 as a free agent signing. 
Over the 34 games he played with Detroit this season, he had only three points, but he had 70 penalty minutes. So this guy just like, that's like pretty much on average, at least uh, two penalty minutes a game. So yeah, this guy was very physical. On to our first of three goalies, we got Ozzy or Chris Osgood. Osgood was only 24 years old at this point in time, but he did play 47 games this season. However, playing that much during the regular season, he didn't get the play at all really in the playoffs. Like I think he played as a uh, recovering role for Mike Vernon, but Mike Vernon took over for the entire cup run pretty much. Um, but Osgood during the regular season went 23-13-9. He had a 2.3 goals against average and a 9-10 save percentage. He also posted six shutouts, which tied him for fourth in the league with Curtis Joseph, who eventually played for Detroit down the road. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, I don't know why he got the, didn't get the play in the playoffs. I would assume it's just because they felt more comfortable with the veteran in Vernon. And Vernon was also in his last year with the team, so it made sense. Next is big man Mike Knubel, who played in only nine games this season, so he was not considered a Stanley Cup champion. He spent most of his time in Adirondack of the AHL, where he actually was very good because he played 68 games down there and he had 63 points. I think like 30-something of them were goals, so he was actually killing it in the minors. In the nine NHL games he played this season, he scored one goal and was a minus one and didn't have any penalty minutes. He would, however, win his first Stanley Cup in 1998, so the year after this, because he did get to play a bit more ice time with them the following season. He also didn't become a fully regular NHL player till he was 26 years old, so kind of like Tim Taylor to an extent, he didn't get to play till he was older. Next is the second of three goalies, and that is Kevin Hodson, who is more of a minor leaguer goalie, kind of a fringe NHL goaltender. Hodson wouldn't play enough for a cup in 1997, however, he was the backup in the 1998 run, so he did get his name on it there. He only played 71 games over his career with a 17, 18, and 10 record between Detroit and Tampa Bay. This season, he only played 6 games, going 2-2-1, with a 1.63 goals against average and a 9.30 save percentage and 1 shutout, so he actually played really good as in those six games that he played, but it could have been a bit of a fluke. Like maybe it's just because the team had a really strong defensive core that that helped him out, or he could have actually played really good during that span. Next is the final goalie, and that is the backup from the regular season and the playoff starter, and that is Mike Vernon, who we were mentioning just a bit ago. He actually was a part of the 1989 Flames that went on to win the Stanley Cup. Despite his lack of size, Vernon was actually a pretty solid goalie. Like I think he was only five foot nine, but the guy was a pretty good goalie. In 33 games he played this season, he went 13-11-8 with a 2.43 goals against average and an 899 save percentage. Surprisingly, he never got a shutout though during the season, so I don't know why he didn't get a shutout. Maybe it's just because he didn't play the greatest or his defense wasn't good then. And then when Murphy came over, then that helped it out a bit. I don't know. But the playoffs is where he took over and helped Detroit win the cup as he would take home the con Smythe. So he definitely played a lot better in the playoffs. And yeah, he was probably one of the main driving forces in the Stanley Cup win. Next up is Mark Major, who only played two games this season, which made up his entire NHL career. I looked to help him and I never knew anything about him, but this guy was a very physical player. In the two games he played this season, he had five penalty minutes. And then he also had a lot of size coming in at six foot three, 223 pounds. Like this guy was huge. And then it came into looking at his stats for the AHL, IHL, ECHL, and UHL, where he played until 2004. Over those seasons that he played down there, he had 1,400 penalty minutes. 
one year he actually uh, like somehow managed to get 355 penalty minutes in 79 games. So that's over two minor penalty minutes a game. So this guy could take like two penalties, uh, two penalties per game on average to get around that. So that's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. Next up is Mike Ramsey, who is a great defenseman actually in both ends. But unfortunately for him, he only played two games in his final NHL season. I don't know if it's because of like if he retired like a couple games in or if he got injured or something. But like he just did not play a lot of games this year at all. So he didn't get his name on the Stanley Cup. But over his 1,070 games, he had 345 points and was a career plus 203 with 1,012 penalty minutes. Um, and yeah, that's kind of surprising because the, all the teams that he played with, they never won a Stanley Cup or even came close to it. Like he played with like Buffalo and Pittsburgh and stuff, but this guy was a plus 203. So this guy was really good in his own end and he was very physical and also could put up like assists and whatnot. So he was a pretty underrated defenseman for the most part. And now on to the final player that played for the Red Wings this season, and that is Stu Grimson, who only played one game with them this season before he was put on waivers. Fortunately for him, though, he was claimed by the Hartford Whalers, where he would play 75 games with for the rest of the season. Grimson was another enforcer, as in his career, he played 729 games with 39 points in 2,113 penalty minutes. He was also a pretty big guy coming at 6'4", 240 pounds. Definitely not a guy you want to mess with. Okay, so that's it for the player profiles. I know that was a long segment just on all those players, but 32 players, it's going to take a while to go through each one of them individually. Um, if you guys want me to somehow shorten that down for the next episode, let me know. But now we're on to our second segment, which I like to call Season in Review. Now I'm going to go month by month on how this team did over the course of the season, how they played and whatnot. So let's start off back in October of 1996, where the Wings would actually start off the season 7-4-1, scoring 32 goals over that span and only allowing 20 goals. They also heated up more towards the end of the month because they kind of struggled at the beginning as they would win five of their last six games. Most of those wins actually came on home ice as well, so they were probably a better home team than a away team. Now, at the beginning of the month, they were kind of struggling a bit more as they went two and four before that five of six winning streak that I was just mentioning. Basically, four of those six games that uh, they went uh, two and four in were on the road. So like I was just saying, they kind of struggled on the road, it seemed like, and they were not getting it done early. But then they found their footing a bit more later in the month. Now, moving on to November, they continued to trend in the right direction as they would go seven, four and two. Four of those wins coming on home ice at the Joe Louis Arena and another three coming on the road. So they kind of found how to play on the road a bit more in this month. Their offense also was tearing it up because they never scored any less than four goals in their wins. So they were scoring a lot of goals when they won games. Like if for some reason their offense did not produce, uh, then they would lose games. But if it did produce, then they would win. Their worst loss though of this month came against the Toronto Maple Leafs where they lost by a score of 6-2. to two. In December, the Red Wings would go 6-4-3. The best win of their month came like a day after they signed Joe Koser, who was not actually in the lineup for this game. But they still won 7-1 over the Islanders at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Like, the Islanders weren't really a good team at this point in time, I think. So, it made sense that they smoked them. But, yeah, their offense was just really good. So, January was actually kind of a struggle for the Red Wings a lot as they went 2-6-3 over a 11-game span. 
I think it could have been because Sergey Fedorov missed six games from January 22nd to February 6th. So I don't know if he could have been like, like since he got injured, that was a shot to their offense and they were not able to score as much without him or something. But yeah, basically he went down and um, yeah, the team just did not perform. But after a miserable months, though, Detroit would actually bounce back, believe it or not. They would go 8-2-3 and three in February, not scoring below four goals in any of their wins. So in eight of those wins... They never scored below four goals. They also found a way to win on a road as they won four of seven on the road this month. March, though, they would fall back a bit again, kind of, as they would go six, five, and three. This time around, though, they had a couple wins below four wins, so they had some tighter games, but they still continued their recipe, which was when their offense was hot, they would win games, and when it wasn't, they would lose. Then to wrap up the regular season, they would go 2-1-3 to finish 5th in the league with 94 points and a record of 38-26-18. The power play would finish 7th best in the league, clicking at 17.93%. And then the penalty kill was 4th best in the league at 86.71%. They were also the team that shot the most pucks during the season, which wasn't really a surprise because they had a lot of skill back in these days. So yeah, they were a really good shooting team. As doing so, they also finished 6th in goals with 253, and they also finished 2nd in goals against with 197, so they played really good in their own end for the most part of the season. They also told 10 shorthanded goals, which was tied for the league average, so like, yeah, they were just average in terms of shorthanded goals. Okay, so now into this segment I'd like to call playoff performances. We're going to go in depth about the playoff run for the Detroit Red Wings this season. So in round one, Detroit would have to take on a divisional rival in St. Louis. They were led by Brett Hull, who eventually went on to play for Detroit down the road. Game one wouldn't go the typical way for the Red Wings as they would be shut out 2-0 on home ice. So they lost on home ice and their offense didn't produce. Game two, though, would also be very tight, but they would edge the Blues in a 2-1 victory with two goals coming in the third, one of which was a shorthanded goal by Chris Draper. So that was a big turning point for the team. Game 3, they would once again take a one-goal victory on a late power play goal by Steve Weiserman with like four and a half minutes left, so basically just squeaking out a win in regulation. Game 4, though, the Blues dominated once again, though, and they would get shut out 4 to nothing. so they kind of had to find their footing again at this point in time. They are just like, like, they were pulled into the locker room and they were like, you gotta get this win, or, uh, this next one, or else this series could be done with. So game five back in Detroit on April 25th, 1997 on my first birthday. So that's kind of cool. Detroit would take a 3-2 series lead with a nice 5-2 win, scoring three goals in the third period. So they basically found their way to score in that third period. And that helped them finish off the series as they would win the sixth game as well by a score of 3-1. Despite the Blues scoring first, Kozlov, Shanahan, and Mulpey would score in each period to give the Wings a round one win. So they would move on to the second round where they would take on the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. So the Mighty Ducks, though, they were kind of interesting because they were kind of bouncing in and out of the playoffs season to season. But they were led by their top two guys, and that was Timo Solani and Paul Korea, who would typically led the Ducks. This series, the Red Wings would win all four games. However, three of those games were really super tight. Game one would end in the first overtime 59 seconds in because of Martin LaPointe. Game two is actually insane though. It would go to triple overtime and it would be finally ended by a trio of Soviets as Kozlov scored from Konstantinov and Fetisov. Shots were 71 to 51 by Detroit. 
for the end of the game. So the goalies were standing on their head that entire game, and it was just a very close game. Like Anaheim could have easily won the series, but it was just, I guess Detroit just came up more clutch. Game three was the only one that didn't actually head to overtime in the series, as uh, Detroit would take it by a score of 5-3 to three in Anaheim. In that game, however, though, the Ducks did blow a 3-1 to one lead because they were up 3-1, to one, and then they let in the next four goals, and that basically was the dagger in the heart. Game 4, once again, was another overtime game. This one would go to double OT, so we've had first overtimes, we had a double overtime, we've had a triple overtime. This series was really good for the first four games, and the only four games. It'd be ended on a goal by Brendan Shanahan, and the Red Wings would head to the conference finals yet again. I believe it was the third time in a row that they were at this point. This time they were on a six-game winning streak, and they would need their offense really much for this upcoming series as they would take on the rival in the Colorado Avalanche for the second straight season in the conference final. Round three was the toughest of them all. Colorado had come off a cup win the year before, as I was just saying like way back at the beginning of this video. They're the team that elicited Detroit in six games in 1996 and then went on to win the Stanley Cup. This year, Colorado was also very strong as they won the President's Trophy with 107 points, led by greats such as Sackick, Forsberg, Waugh, and so much more players. Game 1 was very tight in a 2-1 loss for the Red Wings, and a total of 17 minor penalties were taken between the two clubs because these two teams hated each other for like certain hits and whatnot. All the goals in Game 1 came in the third period as well, so that's kind of an interesting little fact there. Game 2 though, the Red Wings started to find their game again as they would win 4-2 in Colorado, which was huge for their confidence. Once again, a lot of penalties were taken between the two sides. Game 3 back at the Joe Louis Arena was close again, finishing a 2-1 score on a third period goal from Kozlov and Detroit would win and go up in the series. Game 4, the Red Wings would like explode and stomp all over the Avs, winning 6-0, so just a random blowout win. And he had two goals from Larionov and Maltby in this game, and then two more from Kozlov and Fedorov. The third period of that game, things boiled over a lot as there'd be a total of 214 penalty minutes served out in like the last, well, the entire third period. Because there was like, I think, a lot of penalties served to just to Martin LaPointe in like the last like five minutes of that game. But yeah, that game just boiled over and like things were going out of hand. However, Colorado somehow answered uh, like uh, that 6 nothing loss with a 6 nothing win of their own in Game 5 to keep the series going. However, that also would be short-lived though as the Red Wings would take Game 6 back on home ice 3-1 in what was a very hard series and they'd move on to the Stanley Cup Finals, outseeing the President's Trophy winners and the defending Stanley Cup champions. Now, the only thing that was left in front of them was the Philadelphia Flyers in the Stanley Cup Finals. Detroit didn't have much problem with them as they did with Colorado as they would take game 1 and 2, 4-2 at the Core State Center in Philadelphia. Then they would decisively win 6-1 on home ice in game 3 and then wrap up the series with a close 2-1 score in game 4, capturing their first Stanley Cup since the 54-55 season. This was the beginning of a dynasty. Mike Vernon would take home the Conn Smythe Trophy with a 927 save percentage and a 1.76 goals against average, going 16-4. The best forward point-wise, though, for Detroit this playoff run was Sergei Fedorov, who led the team with 20 points in 20 games. Also, defensemen Larry Murphy and Nicholas Lidstrom were a combined plus 28 to help the team a lot in their defensive end. And yeah, that's basically how Detroit went on to win their first Stanley Cup in quite a while. 
So next we're going to discuss the offseason transactions in draftees that Detroit got. So the offseason brought some tragic news shortly after winning that Stanley Cup. June 13th, 1997, defenseman Vladimir Konstantinov was in a major car accident after a private party. He spent several weeks in a coma, however he did recover, but he still suffered serious head injuries and was paralyzed. He would never play hockey again, and this would give a lot of motivation to the Detroit Red Wings franchise to go for another Stanley Cup in 97-98. Uh, Vyacheslav Fetisov was also in the car with him, but he did not suffer any really injuries at all. So he was really lucky, but Konstantinov would never play again. At the draft, the Red Wings didn't really have much of a good draft. After all, they did trade away that first round pick to the Hartford Whalers in the Shanahan deal. So they drafted with their second round pick, Yuri Butsayev, who never really turned out to be much. They would then also draft a guy named Peter Sikora. And I'm not talking about the Peter Sikora that played for Anaheim. I'm talking about a different one at 76th. They also would draft Quinton Lang at 102nd. John Wickstrom at 129th, BJ Young at 157th, and Mike Laceby at 186th. None of these picks actually turned out to be that good, though, for Detroit, because the most experienced one got was Batsayev, and he only played 99 career games, so the rest of these guys, like, some of them didn't play at all. Some of these guys only laced up in, like, five games or so. Like, they did not play a lot at all. For the upcoming 97-98 season, the Wings would let go of Thomas Sandstrom to free agency as he would sign with the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. However, they did pick up left-winger Brent Gilchrist from the Dallas Stars as a replacement. So, that's the only, tra like, transactions they really made in the offseason to change up the team. And now, finally... We get on to the last little bit of this, which is changes I would make to this Detroit team. And like, I would like to discuss changes I would make to this team. However, there's not really much I could do with them being a Stanley Cup winner. And because, uh, considering they won a Stanley Cup the year before, they kind of knew what they're doing. And they didn't really have much weakness in terms of like defensive play because you had the really good top six, really good like depth. And then also forward wise, you had some very good forwards still, goalies as well. So there wasn't really much uh, change. Uh, they did actually lose Mike Vernon. So maybe if I was to make a change, um, I would uh, probably get a better backup than Kevin Hodson. Even though they did still manage to win a cup with him as backup. I just Kevin Hodson, like I was saying, wasn't really much of a go backup goalie. So like maybe get a better backup for Chris Osgood, which I think they might have done a bit with Norm Markle. Because they did call up Norm Markle from the AHL the following season. So yeah, maybe that's just one thing I would do. They would just upgrade the goaltending a bit. So this segment would actually probably be better for non-cup like non -cup winning teams. So I maybe it might be better when I do it in a different episode. Okay, so that is going to do it for this first episode of this Hockey Rosters Revisited podcast. I hope you guys found it somewhat interesting as this was a lot of research I did and it was like 10 pages or 12 pages of information. If you did, please drop a like and share it depending on what platform you're on. Also suggest any team you'd like to see from a different season uh, down below in the comments if you're on YouTube or you can suggest it on my Twitter at Snipe and Score and I'll try and do more of these episodes coming up in the next couple weeks, like once a week maybe. So yeah, go nuts with those suggestions as I'm looking forward to doing more of these again. I had a lot of fun doing this first episode and I can't imagine what other teams there is left to do. There's still tons of teams. Um, anyways, thank you guys so much for watching or listening and I'll see you guys next time.